Welcome to Hired Leaders, the companion podcast to the book, Pass Fail, The Urgent Need for Strategic Leadership in Higher Education. I'm Suzanne Brinker, and with my co-host, Audra Delaney-Hall, I will be bringing you conversations with presidents and VPs at America's colleges and universities to look at how we can transform and lead our institutions for a sustainable future. Lori, hello. It's so great to have you on the podcast today. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Audra and I are so excited to talk with you. You're in your first year of your presidency at St. Norbert College, which is my alma mater. And so I'm especially excited to hear what's happening. Would you mind just giving us a brief overview of your higher ed journey and what eventually brought you to SNC? Oh, sure. So I was a first-gen student and I was educated at a school very much like St. Norbert College. It's um, Loyola University in New Orleans. And it was that undergraduate experience that really was transformative for me. So it just completely changed my way of looking at the world, my trajectory, everything. And when I was a sophomore, actually sitting in a sociology class, I just made the decision that I was going to become a faculty member at a place just like that because I wanted to make sure that type of experience would be available for students behind me. And so sure enough, I went off to Tulane and earned my master's and my PhD and then was blessed to be able to go back to Loyola and teach for, I don't know, a dozen years and then had the opportunity to serve as an associate dean and thought that would be just a year or two that I would help out in a crisis um, and just discovered that I could have a bigger influence on students in that role. And so one thing led to another, and I've basically been on the academic side of that, the house my entire career. So associate dean and then dean, interim provost, and then president. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Tell us how has your first year been going? What have you been focused on? What are your big questions that you're digging into? Yeah. So this isn't my first presidency, but I have to tell you, they are all so intense the first year. So I'm literally, I think I'm four and a half months in and I'm, it's just like drinking from a fire hose. So I'm just trying to learn as much as I can learn. And one of the great things about St. Norbert College is that people are really passionate about this place, right? But what that means is like there are lots of people to meet and just to listen to their stories and their connection to the institution has been a real joy. But at the same time, trying to understand the internal workings of the campus, try to understand the different constituent perceptions of St. Norbert College, its mission and how that gets reflected in everything that we do. So it's just been a lot of listening, a lot of learning, and of course, talking to the campus about some of the headwinds that are facing higher education, that quite frankly, St. Norbert College has been really blessed not to have to worry about so, so much in the past, right? But none of us are immune to those headwinds now. And so starting those discussions on campus has been a, a big, a, a big action item for us. That makes sense. I mean, I've been delighted just watching news come out of St. Norbert over the last few years, and I would agree that they have defeated some of the trends that we've been seeing come out of similar institutions. From knowing that you came out of the pandemic relatively strong, you made the decision to keep visits in person as much as possible. That really helped a lot of institutions that made that choice. You've built some really strong partnerships that help students go to grad school and save some time and money in the process at really renowned institutions. And then recently, 
I realized that St. Norbert has now broken into the top 100 for the U.S. News and World Report rankings of a national liberal arts institution. What do you think is happening at St. Norbert that's enabling the success when so many other places are struggling? Yeah, we're, we are so super excited about that, right? Breaking into the top 100. Part of what attracted me to St. Norbert College, and I say this all the time, is there is an abundance of talent. Like I've been at five other institutions and this faculty is truly extraordinary in every way in terms of their commitment to teaching and scholarship, but also just that personal relationship with students. So an abundance of talent. After that. Yeah. And a really healthy culture. We are the only Norbertine institution in the entire world. And we really take seriously this idea of the Norbertine ideal of communal, which really brings our community together in really um, amazing ways, right? So I think that's definitely a piece of it. I think this is a faculty and a community that's deeply committed to being person-centered, but also with very high standards, right? So we are extremely supportive of students, but we really do expect a lot because we want our students to go out and become servant leaders in the world and really make a difference in the world. In terms of the rankings, I can't tell you that I'm 100% sure. I think part of it probably has to do with a change in methodology to focus more on actual outcomes. And because this is such a solid institution, we have, you know, we usually outperform what people expect our retention and graduation rates to be. We rank really high on social mobility. So when you compare the earnings of our graduates as compared to high school graduates, they're, they're really great. So I think that those kinds of outcome measures are, are part of the reason. We also are very generous with financial aid, right? And then trying to make sure that if a student wants access to this education, that we make it as affordable as we can make it. And so that ties in um, to the rankings as well. So I, I would think outperforming graduation rates, doing really well in social mobility, and then being really committed as a Catholic institution to accessibility and affordability. And then, of course, you raised it earlier, it could be that some other institutions are struggling a bit more. And so that could play into our ranking as well. That is actually a good point that you're benefiting, sadly, from um, what's happening at a lot of other liberal arts colleges. That makes some sense. I have been really intrigued by these partnerships that I mentioned, too, and I've been hearing about those from mm -hmm. some friends and people who are on campus, on the board. Can you tell us a little bit about those? They seem really innovative. Like, I feel like everybody gets that those partnerships are important, but few institutions are able to pull them off. And I know of just a few, I think there's Marquette and Notre Dame and there's a medical college. Yes. Tell us about these partnerships and what, what they've been able to do in terms of moving the needle for St. Norbert enrollment and financial health as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really excited about the Medical College of Wisconsin is actually a partnership where they are located here in our beautiful science building, right? And what I love about that is it means that it not just that our students get some priority, right, in terms of that medical school, but that our faculties um, actually teach. So our uh, biology and chemistry faculty members teach in the medical college and have interaction with the faculty. So it gives our faculty a better understanding of what the medical school is looking for. But 
reciprocally, it also gives the medical school faculty a good understanding of how rigorous and how well-prepared our undergraduate students are. So it's phenomenal. And of course, the Norbertine ideal is to be deeply committed to the local community. And so I just met with the president of the Medical College of Wisconsin. And the number, I think, was something like we've graduated 200 doctors. And of course, the goal is to keep those doctors in areas where sometimes we have trouble attracting them in some of the rural areas. So that's been a really incredible partnership. We also have a 2-2 partnership with Valen for students who are interested in earning their BSN. So they take their uh, liberal arts courses here, but then they can do their nursing courses there. So it's a great way to capitalize on the strengths of different institutions without trying to duplicate everything, which makes no sense these days, right? So I think leadership is really becoming much more, I I think, reality-based, that we can't always compete. We have to start collaborating in more significant ways. And I think it also helps to enhance the impact of a liberal arts college when students can have the experience of really digging into the coursework and the structure of courses taught by liberal arts faculty, but they can then also go benefit from the career readiness structure of courses that may come from another institution that's partnered with you. I think there's been a lot of conversation lately around how liberal arts colleges can defend themselves and I think how schools that maybe are like state or regional schools are more focused on outcome, not necessarily more focused on outcomes, but like they're always talking about their career numbers when they're reporting on themselves. And so this is a really cool way to bring them both together and show people that truly both are really relevant and important. And this is how you can maximize on your ability to experience both and then take those learnings with you post your undergraduate experience. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. In fact, I just had a meeting with the chancellor at UWGB, and I'm super excited because we're talking about, we have strengths in different areas, but we're talking about maybe some 2-2 programs or some 3-1 programs. Our faculty in the physics area um, have just shifted their curriculum to become physics engineering, and UWGB already has multiple engineering degrees. So we think it's going to be like a seamless kind of transition for our students. And you're right. It typically will save students a year's worth of time, right? Tuition for a year, but also they're not giving up that earnings potential for an extra year. So like we also have a partnership with Marquette Law School that allows students to shave off a year in terms of getting their undergraduate degree, but also their law degree. So I think these partnerships are really powerful. And I think leaders are starting to come together in ways where it can be win for everybody. It's like a triple hit, right? It's great for students and families. It's great for St. Norbert College. But in this case, we also believe it's going to be great for the public institution. And I also think it's directly engaging with having an abundance that in a time where schools may feel like they need to really hold on to everything because of the enrollment cliff. So like looking outward and being like, no, the way forward and the path for us to keep impacting the lives of students into the future is together, not like putting ourselves against each other and trying to build a product or something or build a a program that's exactly the same as somebody else's. Let's bring the forces together to make the impact last longer. Yeah. The other thing too is we're residential. And so if students want to live here, 
participate in D3 sports that maybe aren't available at some other institutions. So there's just a ton of ways that we can link together really for the benefit of students, which is what we're all about, right? That's our core mission and student engagement, learning, and success. We're perfectly aligned on them. So I think these are going to be powerful and we're going to see more and more of them moving forward. There is um, actual data that shows that your earning potential increases with a liberal arts education. It's just not immediate. Like your three-year ROI is lower than if you get a um, degree at a larger institution that's in the sciences or in data. But then if you have that liberal arts background, you're able to out earn your peers later on in life because you have that basis. And I just think a lot of colleges are struggling with making that connection for their audiences from like a brand and marketing perspective. A lot of colleges are struggling with what Audra just described, which is that abundance mindset, actually putting it into action. We think we have to build everything ourselves. Otherwise, somebody will take all our pie. And that's why I've been so impressed because these partnerships make so much sense and they make sense to everyone, but the fewest institutions are able to actually build them and put them in place. So that's just, and you've had them for a while. I think some of these partnerships that you've described are five to 10 years old. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe even older. And so you've gotten into the game early and you've been benefiting from that very obviously. And you said it's a win. Your students are saving money. St. Norbert is better positioned those schools that you have partnerships with have sort of a pipeline that they don't have to work so hard for. It just makes sense. The other thing that we're doing, even though we've been in these partnerships for a really long time, is we are also trying to be very innovative and stay above the curve. So we've partnered with an organization called Rise, where we know our students want certain in-demand programs, but we don't or can't make the upfront investment. And so it partners you with other institutions that traditionally we would have never thought of, right? And what I say to students and faculty members is this is a way for St. Norbert College to offer the best of both worlds. So the residential liberal arts experience with access to the full array of programs that institutions that are much larger than us have access to. Okay, so how does that work? Do they take courses online and can they major in things that St. Norbert doesn't have majors in? Wow, I didn't realize that. That Yeah, so it's brand new. In fact, it's working its way through our internal governance system right now. But for example, our business program is looking to add a couple of new majors, healthcare administration and supply chain management. And two minors, uh, digital marketing and project management. And while we have some of the basic resources to be able to offer maybe like the 100 and 200 level courses required in those majors, it's those upper level specialized courses that would be tough for us to offer. And so you partner through RISE with larger institutions and there's a strong connection, like it has to go through the accrediting agency for quality control and that sort of thing. So we're just starting that now, but we're super excited because, again, we think it, it expands the opportunities for our existing students in a way that we can never do on our own. That is so fascinating. I'm going to look into that right when I get off this call because I hadn't heard of that before. And I think uh, 10 years ago. When MOOCs first came on the scene, everybody thought this is what's going to happen. You're not, no longer going to get your degree just from one institution. You're going to mix and match what you want. And that's going to be the end of higher education um, as we know it. 
That didn't happen, of course. That disruption is yet to be actually realized, but we're seeing it on smaller scales in really innovative ways that makes a huge impact on institutions' ability to survive and thrive into the future. Recording this in December of 2023, and last week there was news about the College of St. Rose closing in New York, which is also a small Catholic liberal arts institution. And so it's just so interesting to me to see what have some of these institutions like that are in a good situation, like St. Norbert, done. What did they do five, seven, ten years ago that is enabling them to be in a very different situation than, than the College of St. Rose, for example? Sure. By the way, I, I do want to make clear, like we at St. Norbert College are not immune from all of those pressures and challenges of those other schools. I think what maybe the way that it's been handled here has been a little different. So, for example, we are moving very quickly to adapt and to adjust to some of the changes that we're seeing in our data. And I think that maybe has not always been easy in higher education. It's not even easy now, but I think the institutions that thrive moving forward are going to be the ones who are not afraid of being radically transparent with their communities about the challenges and being forthright in helping people understand their own data and then addressing that head on. So we are in a really great position at St. Norbert College because we have a really great, strong balance sheet. We have beautiful facilities. We don't have tons of deferred maintenance. But that doesn't mean that we're not struggling with some of the same annual, you know, pressures that other institutions are struggling with. And so we are having to deal with that and internally. But these partnerships are one of the revenue generating ways that we're dealing with it. Right. And you, you have to enroll your class every year. And that pressure is not going to go away. What helps with being able to do that is having a strong brand position, having partnerships in place. And then what you were saying about um, being able to align with the data relatively quickly that's about culture, right? Being able to move fast. And one of my current favorite talking points is that I feel like a lot of president cabinets are sitting in their ivory tower talking about what makes us distinctive. And those debates can last hours, days, months, even years. And they often don't really result in anything really distinctive. And instead, I think what we need to say is oh, what's going to make us different is we're actually going to do something. That action is, could be in and of itself very differentiating. It sounds like I have to jump in here and tell you, I could not be more proud of our faculty. I could not be more proud because as soon as I came in, you try to identify areas of strength that can become areas of competitive advantage for your institution. And I think like there are three, four, five areas that are very clear at St. Norbert College that are those potential areas. But then I pushed and said, we need to think of like constellations of excellence, right? So how can we link historic areas of strength, but connect them? So one of the first ones we're working on is athletics is really strong at St. Norbert College. We have more than 620 students and their GPA and their retention rate are higher than non-student athletes, right? So that's obviously an area of competitive advantage. And then we're looking at starting some academic, high potential demand academic programs that correlate with that. And the school has had a six decade partnership with the Green Bay Packers right here in the community. So when I say constellations of strength, those are the kind of linkages we're challenging our faculty to think about. 
And I have to tell you, in this one semester, four months, they have come up with more curricular innovation and proposals than over the prior five years. And I know that because I've asked, right? So I'm super excited about what they're going to approve and what they're going to execute. But I think, again, remember I said at the beginning, an abundance of talent. If you think about what makes up colleges and universities, right? It's like talent and culture, as you point out. And if you have those two things in abundance, there's really nothing that you can't achieve. Right. I love that so much. That's Audra, your favorite talking point is what's differentiating about your campus are your people. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. That is something that I've been talking with a lot of different people about recently because I think so often people will look outward for the answer to how to reposition their institution or how to breathe life, just like breathing life back into the campus community and to the brand and the way that it feels and looks to prospects. And it, you can't find that outside. You can't find it by comparing yourself to the people who are mostly competitive to you because they don't have your people, your history, like your even your set of challenges or opportunities for growth. Like they don't have any of that. So I always encourage people to go talk to your people on campus, like go establish connection with people and you'll probably find something that you didn't know existed or that you can or like makes you have an aha moment for what to do next with how to engage with other people like the ones you're meeting on your campus. And that constellation of strength is a really interesting framework to think through. It sounds like what you are doing is what I call brand anthropology, which is understanding what have we always been good at? You mentioned the Green Bay Packers partnership that's existed for six decades. I remember being on campus whenever the Green Bay Packers played. Nobody was outside and I don't care about football. So that was very disturbing to me. Yeah. So that wouldn't have brought me into campus. Yeah. So to your point, you can't say the same thing to everyone. You have to say different things. What sure. would have brought me to campus? Not that, but you still have to say it. And once you've done that brand anthropology, there are really just three things that you have to do. Number one, you have to understand what actually makes you distinct, not nationwide, but within your three to five competitors that you're losing students to. Number two, when you establish something that's actually distinct, you have to make sure that it aligns with market demand, right? Because you can shout into the wilderness, this makes them distinct, but if nobody wants it, that doesn't help you. And then the third thing is you just have to start consistently saying the same things to the right people and it's going to put you above. And then that's where that action orientation and that culture comes in um, that we talked about already. I do want to touch on your location because you're in Northeast Wisconsin. We already mentioned the Green Bay Pack Packers. The stadium is obviously not far. Um, that'll help people put it on their mental map. I'm assuming you view the location as both an advantage as a disadvantage, not to put words into your mouth. Do you agree with that? And can you talk a little bit about how the location factors into St. Norbert's position and future? Yeah. So I love the three things you just outlined, because that is partly what led me to start with athletics, right? Because it doesn't have to go through the curricular approval process, so I could do that more quickly. But part of what convinced me is I serve on the board of the new North, which looks at like what is unique and what is growing in our part of the state. And a cluster of employment that's really strong is uh, sports, media, and entertainment. And of course, we have business school and the dean of the business school right now is an expert in these areas, right? We have a strong communications program and we have like an amazing tradition of athletics. 
So that's part of how we fed into that. Two other sectors that are really strong here, uh, healthcare and health sciences, right? That's another potential area or constellation of strength for us because of the medical school, because we're really strong in the basic sciences, and because there's a lot of demand in the community. Business is uh, obviously another area of strength for us. And I believe education is another one. In fact, one of our deans was just successful getting a large grant uh, to create a charter school in Appleton, not far from here. So I definitely think looking at what is in demand and what's needed in this part of the world is really critical and trying to connect that to historic areas of strength. I can tell you, I moved from Chicago and my husband and I are absolutely loving the De Pere and Green Bay area. Um, this is, I think, the warmest, kindest place we have ever lived. So we talk about Colonio on campus, but I have to tell you, this is an easy community to come from the outside into, and people really have welcomed us with open, open arms. It, Green Bay was just voted like the number one best place to raise a family. So, I mean, I don't really see the location as a disadvantage the way maybe I would have 10 years ago. Now that I'm here, I just sat in a presentation where they talked about entrepreneurial startups, and we now have title town tech, all of these things that are really encouraging the growth of business, the growth of the biotech industry, the growth of advanced manufacturing in all sorts of areas. So honestly, I just see the trajectory really going up here. And I also think it's affordable. And so I think that's very attractive to individuals. So I'm just really too many higher things about this where you'll convince me to move back. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that I think people listening, if they ever find themselves in St. Norbert, should find their way to Cedarburg, Wisconsin. To, what is it called? She's on Amy's Candy Shop or whatever. Yeah, oh. Well, mm-hmm. I went to high school in Cedarburg, so my team hears a lot about St. Norbert, but also they hear a lot about Cedarburg. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, Wisconsin is especially northeast Wisconsin is a, an incredibly warm, generous place where you feel like that uh, armor that you have to wear in the regular world, which I'm from, I've lived in bigger cities and I grew up outside of a big city in Germany. You can take it off and you can say things that have joy at their heart and people aren't going to shudder. And so you're right. And, And so maybe the challenge is just bringing that perception out to new audiences, um, that don't necessarily have this region on their radar yet. I'm assuming, again, I'm making assumption that you're interested in broadening your reach. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you think that's going to work? This podcast is sponsored by Viv Higher Education, a Boston-based women-owned consulting firm and marketing agency for colleges and universities. Viv specializes in integrating content and paid media strategies to drive brand awareness and enrollment growth. You can learn more about Viv at vivhiret.com, that's V-I-V-H-I-E.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. So one of the things we're working on right now, it's just in the very beginning stages, is an integrated marketing and communication plan. And we're talking about capping it off with a satellite media tour that will get our messaging out to secondary markets, where quite honestly, it would be really expensive for us to like send admissions counselors and that sort of thing 
But through a satellite media tour, we think it would be a very um, effective way to get into some of those markets and to try to maybe create a little bit more awareness about St. Norbert College. So that's one way. The other thing is just trying to reach out in concentric circles in ways that won't require quite as much investment in innovative ways, like maybe trying to host statewide science fairs here on campus so that high schools that high school graduates who maybe don't have St. Norbert on their radar, if they visit our beautiful campus and interact with our amazing faculty and staff might um, consider coming here. I would assume, yes, once you set foot on campus, it's difficult to forget the, the beauty of it right by the Fox River. It's just a really beautiful campus. Especially and by the way, no traffic coming from Chicago. I have to tell you, that is not an insignificant point. Well, right. And I live in Boston, so that sounds like uh, heaven. Um, so one of the things that I'm really curious about talking with you about, too, is the Catholic heritage of the college. And I'm curious, what are the conversations like at the board level, um, at the cabinet level with your faculty about how that stays front and center in the education and the campus experience and how you may have to reposition it or rethink it even to be relevant to new audiences? that you maybe haven't been able to attract in the past? Yeah. So I think most of the conversations about this up to this point have happened at the board level because, of course, there's a mission committee of the board of trustees. And what we've been focused on is how do we ensure that our Catholic, Norbertine, and liberal arts core mission gets reflected in everything that we do across the college? And so mission integration is the term that we're using, right? And we're even now in the process of developing a draft of a mission accountability process, right? This is really common in Catholic higher education. The Jesuits have been having it for a long time. The Ursies have had it. And I serve on the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities Board at the national level. And my understanding is they're about ready to come out with a framework. But what it does is it really, it's almost like an accreditation approach where you might have five questions about how does your mission get integrated into curricular and co-curricular offerings? How does it get integrated into budget decisions? How does it get integrated into the physical space or art of your campus? So literally, it's a way to just make sure that we're being very intentional about the mission and making sure that it flows through every decision, every consideration all across the campus. So that's where we're at. We're just taking a look top to bottom and trying to put some sort of oversight process in place that will keep us just really intentional about it. What is the percentage of Catholic versus non-Catholic students on your campus right now? Yeah, that's a really tough question because so many um, students won't even answer the question, right? Or they'll put none. So we don't really have a good sense of the percentages. I mean, I'm sure our Office of Institutional Research could give me a percentage, but I don't know how much weight I put into it just because of the response rate to that kind of question. But what I love about like institutions is... Like, even if you're not Catholic, even if you're agnostic, even if you're atheist, right? Catholic with a small c means universal. And so we are inherently inclusive 
because we are Catholic. And that's one of the reasons I'm most proud to serve at a Catholic institution, right? So that's exactly what I'm seeing at Assumption, where I'm currently fractional CMO. That message, because we are Catholic, we are universally inclusive, such a powerful message to start with. I think what we sometimes are facing is the challenge that even our Catholic students couldn't articulate that to each other. And so then how do we articulate it to new audiences that we're trying to attract? I think collectively as Catholic institutions, we're struggling with that that at the moment, just articulating what do we really mean by that? How is it universal? It's not obviously an experience that I can attest to that firsthand where you get indoctrinated on campus. There are like teachings and texts that are much front and center. How do those speak to the universal hunger for truth and meaning? And that's, I think, from a brand perspective, a challenge that all of us are tackling right now. Yeah. So when I think about this, again, I, this is part of why I'm so proud to be here. I know some people struggle because they don't want to use the name Jesus, right? But as a Catholic institution, we do follow the teachings of Jesus. And if you think about the two, the two core commitments or commandments, it's to love God and love neighbor. And I think that love neighbor is the piece that allows us to talk about diversity, inclusion, and those sorts of things in a very authentic kind of way. And then the whole core of Catholic intellectual tradition is a search for truth. And even if that truth is uncomfortable for us because we are a Catholic college, we don't shy away from it. We know where we stand on certain issues, but that doesn't mean that we're going to like shut down conversation on any topic, even topics that may be inconsistent with teachings of the church, right? So I think that's what's exciting about being at a Catholic college or a university. Yeah, and there is even within Catholic institutions, there is the sort of Jesuit brand, which is really focused on social justice. And then there are all kinds of other Catholic institutions I think what unites the the ones that aren't maybe inherently focused on social justice in the here and now, the political and social activism that's associated with, the, the nice thing that I like is that there is a focus on the enduring. You're studying texts that are in many cases more than a thousand years old, 2000 years old, and there are truths in those texts that are still relevant today and that are shaping the lens through which you're seeing current events and current um, discourse. And so I think Catholic uh, education has an opportunity to actually position itself a little bit counter to what's happening on a lot of college campuses where there is this immediate like activism and immediate you have to practice your opinion. Isn't education meant to not have you do that right away? Isn't education meant to have you really wrestle with different perspectives first before Absolutely. you go out and act? And I think that's like the power of the liberal arts, right? Because it really does. A, cultivate critical thinking, right? But I also think the Catholic piece cultivates like this compassionate stance, even with those that you might vehemently disagree with, right? Like, so I, I think you're exactly right. Those are two elements that are really important to this kind of experience. 100%. One topic that we're really interested in for this book that we're working on about higher leadership and also for this podcast is campus mental health. And the reason for that is 
that Gen Z has really allowed us to pull back the veil on mental health and say, why aren't we talking about this? Everyone struggles with mental health to some extent, and they want to see how college campuses are going to embrace that and support them, no matter what the mental health struggle might look like. It might be short-term, long-term, chronic. Wondering what that conversation looks like at St. Norbert, we're trying to figure out from many different institutions, what does that conversation look like? And how do you think it needs to be front and center when attracting students and retaining students on campus as well? Yeah, so I often say if we admit students to St. Norbert College, like it's a moral imperative that we do everything that we can to make sure that we're supporting them and that they graduate hopefully on on time. And what that means is because the vast majority of our students are residential is we really do have to have all of support services and wraparound services, if you will, to make sure that they thrive here. And so we have a really um, strong wellness by design program, which goes beyond physical and mental health to all sorts of strategies to deal with anxiety or just some of the developmental challenges that college students go through. I I have to tell you, I just I'm getting briefed on all kinds of stuff because I'm still pretty new here. And I got briefed on the mental health question and was actually really pleasantly surprised. I got a page and a half of the different kinds of services and types of services that are in place here. So obviously one-on-one counseling, crisis appointments, group opportunities, and the group opportunities can be to deal with specific issues of an individual, but we also do all this proactive kinds of things about conflict resolution, anxiety and stress, mindfulness. There's particular groups for women. There's particular groups for those who struggle with just quieting their mind, right? Like those who have negative thoughts um, seeking into their mind. There's transitions groups to help students who are having trouble transitioning to St. Norbert College. And then all sorts of services, including like just drop-in services. There's online opportunities for students who maybe prefer that kind of thing. We also have an autism spectrum disorder support program. And then this wellness by design initiative, which takes individuals from all across campus and puts them together to make sure that anyone that's struggling, right, we can plug them in to get the services or the support that they need. And then there's other things which I think are unusual, like healing through art for survivors of sexual misconduct, right? So using like art therapy, we partner with community agencies in the area of domestic violence. If someone has experienced that either prior or maybe dating violence or something like that. So just a, a whole host of comprehensive resources that quite frankly, I never would have expected for a school of about 1800 undergraduates. That's really awesome. Thank you for telling us about all those resources. That's helpful. And I'm going to be curious to dig into some of those and understand what other schools are doing. I know we're coming up on the end of our time together. I want to talk to you a little bit more about shared governance and um, powering the different stakeholders at an institution to contribute to whether it's institutional growth or even transformation. I had a really awesome conversation with Leo Lambert, who led Elon for 20 years. And he loves to say, 
the main thing is that the main thing is the main thing. And so I'm really curious, how do you currently think through that at St. Norbert in your first year of the presidency? What is the main thing going to be and how is everybody going to be empowered, faculty, staff, students, administrators to contribute to that main focus? Yeah. So I think for us right now, like just something I said earlier in the podcast is just the sheer amount of activity taking place on campus around curricular issues. And one of the principles of shared governance is that faculty really have the prime role when it comes to developing curricular type programs or approving them or eliminating them, suspending them or whatever. So I think shared governance is really critical. I start have started to use some different words for it, though, because I think under shared governance, people use that term all the time and people mean different things by it, right? So what I like to talk about is shared responsibility and accountability for the good of the place, right? And when it comes to like curricular innovation or changes or innovative pedagogical approaches in the classroom and that sort of thing, it's definitely our faculty that have to have the prime role in leading that, in approving that, in executing that. And so I just talk about shared responsibility and shared accountability. I, I think that's the key. Like we don't, all too often, I think what happens is we wait until somebody is unhappy with a decision and then we say, oh, they violated shared governance, right? Well, the best way not to get there is to really try to empower everyone in your community to use their talents and their strengths and their skills to add value to the larger organization. And literally, if you try to empower people all across the organization, rather than getting bogged down about who gets to make what decisions, I think you're going to have just a much healthier culture and you're going to have an organization that more easily and more quickly adapts to this, quite honestly, these very um, challenging headwinds that we're all facing. So I guess what I would say is I just am trying to be radically transparent about where St. Norbert College is experiencing some pain points, is doing really well. I am trying to provide um, some leadership suggestions in the form of things like RISE, like academic portfolio review, like constellations of excellence, like using athletics and business and health sciences as areas of potential strength. But after that, I really have to depend on my colleagues to say, yes, that makes sense. Build in and say, yes, and. Yeah, that makes so much sense. That's really, that makes a ton of sense. That actually reminds me a little bit of how Penn State went through strategic planning, where the president with a smaller group identified, I think it was six areas of excellence that Penn State wanted to be known for, and then really heavily leveraged faculty, students, and staff to fill those in with initiatives, right? That not that top-down change-making yeah. effort doesn't work in higher ed, as we all know. Yeah. My last question for you is, put yourself in the shoes of someone who wants to be a higher ed leader, whether that's a president or um, a VP or lead in whatever capacity, and is looking, how do I get there? What advice would you give them to be in it for the long haul? Wow. I think probably the most important piece of advice comes from a movie that I, I really liked, right? 
I don't know, my I have three sons and they didn't like this movie at all. It's the American president, right? But my favorite line from that movie is like, in whatever job, leadership position you're in, like, don't ever get so worried about keeping your job that you forget to do your job. And the reason I think that's so important to higher education right now is because there's so many opportunities for leaders to not confront challenging data or challenging situations because it's hard and people don't always react. Our better angels don't always come out in tough times, right? But I think too many leaders, as a result, shy away. And I think that can create real threats for institutions. So my best advice is if you're going to go into this work, like really make sure that you have the moral courage to make the right decisions for the institution and not necessarily yourself. And if you don't have that, this might not be the best area because I don't think your institution's necessarily going to be well-served, right? Moral courage, that will stick with me for sure. Thank yeah, you so much for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. Wow, what a wonderful conversation this was. We want to thank I enjoyed so it so much. Thank you so much for being here and sharing um, a sort of in the middle of your first semester, sharing your impressions and your frameworks. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been fun.